The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Good to see you back here for the second part of my conversation with Lorenzo Simonelli. He's the president and CEO of Baker Hughes. We are going to continue discussing the technology sector, but also mentorship and leadership. If there's one element that's come out of the pandemic, it's, it's really pushed us forward on the usage of technology. And you can do a lot of the same things just through Teams or Zoom or you, you name it, the way in which uh, social interconnectivity can take place. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia falco You took the, your, your current position over after the merger. I mentioned that before. Before that, you were the CEO of GE Oil & Gas. Tell me about the transformation of Baker Hughes after the merger. Um, what were the main challenges you had? Well, clearly, whenever you have two companies coming together, the first element is culture and making sure that there's an integration of the culture and also the there isn't a winner and a loser, but that we're winning together as one team. And that's why it was very much focused on making sure that people saw the benefit of the companies coming together. And we were stronger as one versus separate entities. And that's really the rallying cry that came out to the employees and then also to the customers, being able to show them the way we could bring equipment as well as services together with technology to actually go and drive productivity and efficiencies in the industry and help them with their customer problems. So it was um, you know, a very well articulated marriage between the two companies. And the first thing was, let's make sure the employees are motivated. That being said, we went through our hurdles as well. Uh, we had another industry downturn that uh, took place. We had a separation from a majority shareholder that took place. And my big focus was keeping the team aligned and keeping them focused on what we could do as Baker Hughes. Well, I, I know a little bit the GE culture, and it is a very strong culture, very much believing in mentorship and really raising your talents, uh, you know, positioning them globally to really groom them to a leadership position. Baker Hughes, what was their culture like when you found it? And to what extent was it a takeover in culture and grooming Baker Hughes' team into what, uh, what seems to be a very solid structure at GE? Or was it really just a, you know, how did it really feel? 
So it was taking the best of both organizations and creating a new organization. And when you look at Baker Hughes from an engineering perspective and also the customer relationships they had out in the field of oil field services was very strong. And they'd always been known as being very good technically. We then had to take that and blend it in with the commercial intensity as well as the process rigor of GE oil and gas. And so we really focused on let's take the best from both organizations and move us forward. And that really created, you know, the purpose statement of Baker Hughes, the values that we have. And I learned a lot from my experience of uh, also acquisitions, dispositions in GE to be able to see, you know, it's very important that everybody feels that they're contributing in a new entity and that they're valued. Yeah, that they are, they are part, skin in the game, basically, and that everybody is on board. Um, now, because it is sometimes, I mean, integration is exactly what, what is the biggest stumbling block if you have great, rationally great companies, but it just doesn't happen. You know, when, uh, when I was working for CNBC, we were owned by NBC, owned by GE. So we had some of these, you know, process-centric um, processes really uh, put upon us, and the media business just did not like it. <laughs> whatsoever. I never got the feeling that we really were kind of adhering or incorporated into the GE culture in a proper way to, to squeeze out perhaps the best synergies. No, I, I can uh, recall the CNBC, NBC, then Comcast and media being slightly different than some of the other processes. That's why, to your point, Patricia, it is very important to, to take the best of both organizations and also value all of the employees together. Yeah, absolutely. And valued you are as a president and CEO. Talk to me a little bit about your own career, if I may ask. I mean, you know, leadership is so important. What, what did you learn through the leaders you had that you really picked up on in your current role? You know, I've been very fortunate. And, um, you know, I um, have been throughout my career uh, glad to have good leaders around me and also good mentors. And, you know, quickly on, one of the first uh, leadership lessons was learning to deal with ambiguity and also feeling comfortable with ambiguity because uh, change is the only constant you're sure of and you need to be able to navigate that. Also communication, uh, the clarity of the communication and also rallying the troops around you and never shying away from being transparent and also being humble in front of them and developing them at the same time. And I'd say the last one, which has been key, is being decisive when you need to be. And, you know, not all decisions are easy, but what people want is clarity. Uh, they want to know that prioritization and decision making is happening. And so as a leader, you've got to provide that. Uh, but I go back to, you know, my experiences at um, GE Transportation, my experiences at Consumer Industrial. I was uh, also with GE International. And throughout there, I got the opportunity to see people like Paolo Fresco, Nani Bacali, to be able to see Jeff Immelt, Jack Welsh, and, you know, Charlene Begley, Lynn Calpita, all people that um, have added to me as a leader as I've gone forward. And uh, throughout my time, uh, mentors have been extremely important. I still stay in touch with many of them today, and they help me when I uh, have a problem to confront. Now, the mentorship issue is quite an interesting one. Is that something that you, for example, at Baker Hughes, uh, proactively implement that new people or rising talent will be assigned a mentor? Or is it something that just happens because one is lucky? So there's both the organic and inorganic. Um, I found that the organic will mean it's more lasting 
as a mentorship, mentee, mentor relationship. But there is also the inorganic. And when you see top talent and you also are grooming the future leaders, it's important that you give them the opportunity to actually align with a mentor. So we have both a systematic view of aligning people as well as then strongly encourage the informal mentoring to really take, uh, take part and unfold by itself. Let me quickly interrupt the conversation to say thank you that you are here with me on the channel. If you do enjoy what I'm putting out, the in-depth kind of conversations, then why don't you subscribe and also hit the bell button so I can keep you informed with our newest releases. Thanks for that in advance and let's get back to the conversation. Grooming new talent, I would like to know, you know, what are the, the, the key things you look at if you, you look at the young people joining you and rising through the ranks? What are the metrics that, uh, that you use also personally and within your team that you say, okay, that could be a potential CEO of whatever sector or CEO international um, or whatever department you're looking at? So it starts out with, first of all, you've got to be a good performer, which means from a day-to-day -day perspective, accomplish your tasks and also uh, do well. That's not enough. You also then have to exhibit the entrepreneurialism, the culture of being able to work as a team member, both as leading a team as well as collaborating with a team, the ability to work through a matrix. And we assess and we've got... Um, training programs for people that join us and we assess them in multiple dimensions and then it's a process of elimination and uh, the best will rise to the top and then we continue to nurture them and we continue to give them new, new opportunities and i'd say you know it's they evolve as they go through this journey as well and i'm a byproduct of training and if i look at myself i started out as a financial management program, then went on to the uh, General Electric audit staff, then from there was selected in different roles. And I think um, I try and mimic what I went through really as the way in which we groom and also nurture talent within Baker Hughes. Mm. And, and growing other talent and, and communicating, as you were saying just earlier, Lawrence, which is so important for uh, a leadership position to have the crew on board and they just need to know what there is. Do you actually think the move that seems to be happening also due to the, the current crisis, more and more digital, that one cannot necessarily rub their shoulders or spend good times or times together in the office, does that change a little bit the way one has to mentor or one has to lead? Or can you really transfer for one for the other? You have to adapt. And the good thing about technology, and um, if there's one element that's come out of the pandemic, it's, it's really pushed us forward on the usage of technology. And you can do a lot of the same things just through Teams or Zoom or you, you name it, the way in which uh, social interconnectivity can take place. Now, I do think it's important still to have the physical presence, um, not probably as much as we had before, but still that one-on-one uh, -on -one touch time is important. But I'll, I'll comment for myself. I now have global roundtables. Now, a global roundtable previously wouldn't really take place. You'd go to the location and then you'd have a roundtable with the employees that are there. Now I have a screen in front of me with 15 people, one from Australia, one from Brazil, and it helps also put together the company in new ways. And so I think we've adapted. Remote working is part of the future. I don't think uh, we'll be going back to the way it was. I think there is a fundamental shift. And also 
understanding the flexible work hours that are necessary, flexible work arrangements. And, you know, there's another theme in 2020 around inclusion and diversity. And I think that's taken, uh, again, a prime spot with remote working and also flexible work hours and making sure that we're adapting and actually, you know, hierarchical companies, uh, I think, are a view of the past. We're, we're creating structures that are much more streamlined. Yeah, absolutely. Cooperation and, and co-creation, I guess, very much more even whatever the ranks in the company is a big issue. And really, as you were talking about, you know, the shift in the way our modus operandi of working, how do you really see uh, the long-term impact of what this pandemic brought to us, uh, be it professionally, but also personally? So professionally, I think, uh, again, as I mentioned, number one, it's brought attention to the energy transition. It's brought attention to really the climate change, number one. Number two, it's really brought to the forefront the need to balance personal time, work time, and also how to utilize technology as a way in which to facilitate that. Diversity and inclusion, the best sport process, and it's remaking of companies in their fabric. And I think uh, personally, it's also been a way to really see how leaders need to develop, how I need to change the way in which I work and continue to reach out and actually make people feel that connection. Because it's easy to be remote working and get lost. And it puts an extra emphasis on leaders to communicate and also to be decisive. And I think also communication becomes much more universal. And there's so many ways in which you communicate now that uh, you, you really have to put a focus on it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And this is why I was asking early on whether, whether you know, the digitization that has been pushed and boosted by the COVID-19 crisis actually does make your job either easier, uh, different, or maybe, maybe harder. And I think whilst communication and being there and being linked up uh, is one thing, the other thing is really the emotional part, that you still need to get through to the people, not only by you know, the rational content of what you're saying, but have them on board because it is the emotional involvement, as you we were saying Early on, I have to have the team really believing what they're doing is important and we are counting on every single one of us. Surely that is something that can be somewhat of a challenge. It can be unless you are able to rally and your company has a purpose that is actually valued. If you look at Baker Hughes, our purpose statement is clean, efficient energy that's reliable for the planet and clean. And so you actually are driving an aspect of we can have social good in the communities we're participating in because we're reducing the level of carbon footprint through our technologies and also the way in which we work with our customers. So I think companies are going to need to make sure that their purpose resonates with all of their employees and is strong enough to make that connection point. And I think that that's going to be key as we go forward. Yeah, and I think, Lorenzo, the zeitgeist is also changing. You know, I know people that would never have a Zoom kind of meeting because you can go and really visit the, per the, the people or, uh, you know, even sign up a deal through technology was not something that people were open to. And I think the zeitgeist has changed. People can feel close through the screen. Uh, they can communicate. They can strike deals and they can still be made feel uh, important. And that's Side guys change that we are okay with this right now. Um, 
is fundamental, I think, in order to also reduce CO2 to just, you know, circle back to your line of the business. Because if instead of, you know, flying 10 times a year, you fly four times a year, you know, and the rest you put on, you put online, that's great. I think if everybody does that, it does change the picture. It does. And I think, um, you know, we're all watching closely as the vaccine starts to be issued around the world. And also as we go into 2021, how things start to go to a new normal. And I think uh, clearly 2020 has had its challenges. At the same time, there's some good things that will come out of it. And for us at Baker Hughes, the main emphasis is keep on focused on technology and really reduce the carbon footprint. Yeah, and does um, you know Biden's uh, intention to rejoin the Paris Agreement actually change the cards for you at Baker Hughes at all, or doesn't it make a difference? You know, Patricia, we we've been through uh, many administrations in the past, and um, you know our focus as a company is unchanged. The strategy has been on enabling uh, carbon emission reduction. Um, so, if anything, if the administration moves uh, along that side, it will be a good thing for us. But again. I think uh, it's inevitable that the discussion around uh, climate change and carbon emissions continues to gain momentum as we go forward. Let's hope so. It will. Lorenzo, thank you so much for spending time with us here on Mentory TV. Your insights, be it about the business, what, you know, how technology driven it really is and what you can do to enable the entire sector to become more green and reach certain targets out there as a leader, as a mentor yourself. Um, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good to see you. And thank you, dear Mentory TV community, for having joined us yet again for an amazing conversation, this time with the president and CEO of Baker Hughes, uh, Lorenzo Simonelli. I hope I see you soon next time here on Mentory TV. Bye. Life is hard. And sometimes you need a little help and guidance. I'm Laura West, host of a Guided Life podcast, and I believe that help is all around us. We just have to ask for it. The universe has a way of guiding us forward with the help of our past loved ones, angels, spirit guides, and ascended masters. On the podcast, I love to explore these ideas with incredible guests and let people know that they are never alone. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you can join me on this journey part of the mindbodyspirit.fm network and wherever you get your podcasts.